So last week we uh, we began this series. We were looking at this at our obsession with hurriedness. And so last week we focused on the problem, um, and we're going to get over over the next few weeks digging into the solution. But the problem um, of the fact that this this culture of a hurried life it destroys our relationship with God. It it decreases our capacity to to love God and to love other people, and it diminishes our passion and our purpose. And so it's really important that we just grasp hold of this this understanding that a hurried life is not a good life, that busyness is not a badge of honor that we wear, but actually goes against the grain and the culture of what God created at the very beginning of time. And when we rest, we'll find that we can truly know who God is and who we can be in him and through him. So for those of you who uh, connected into Life Group this past week, did you enjoy it? Did you actually practice Sabbath this weekend? Hopefully you did. Maybe did you have a go at trying to get eight hours sleep? Didn't quite work out for us this weekend, unfortunately. Toby was uh, due to be in the parade in the in Anne's Club Day. So I got up on my one and only opportunity to have a lie-in. Walked him to the parade only to find out that none of his friends were there and so he didn't want to do it. So, oh well, missed opportunity to get a lie-in, but I love my kids. <laughs> I love my kids. So I mentioned last week as we started that this series on rest, this series as we look into the practice of Sabbath, it is not a series that is advocating laziness. It is not an excuse for us to do nothing because there is important work for each and every one of us to do. God has given us a purpose. He has placed you on this earth for a purpose, for such a time as this, to carry out his work and his mission on this earth in your context. God has given you a perfect set of skills and abilities and passions and enthusiasm so that you and only you can carry out the work that he has given you to do. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at uh, the subject, the topic of working from rest. Working from rest. So I'm going to open by just reading to you some snippets from three secular articles that look at this idea of a hurried life and, and how that impacts our work. And so an article published in the Harvard Business Review showed that top business consultants who usually work a zillion hours can indeed meet the highest standards of service and still have planned and uninterrupted time off. They recognize that making time off predictable and required demonstrates that those who do actually take some time off do better work because they feel rested and refreshed. An article in Scientific American explained that downtime replenishes the brain's stores of attention and motivation, and it actually encourages productivity and creativity, and it's essential, it's essential to both achieve our highest levels of performance and simply form stable memories in everyday life. So we're seeing here the importance of rest. A wandering mind, it says, unsticks us in time so that we can learn from the past and plan for the future. 
These moments of respite may even be necessary to keep your moral compass in working order and maintain a sense of self. Our brains, according to scientific research, need extended times of rest in order to function effectively and efficiently. And then finally, a writer for the New York Times, he observed that more and more of us find ourselves unable to juggle overwhelming demands and maintain a seemingly unsustainable pace. Paradoxically, the best way to get more done may be to spend more time doing less. A new and growing body of multidisciplinary research shows that strategic renewal, including daytime workouts, short afternoon naps, longer sleep hours, more time away from the office, and longer, more frequent holidays, boost productivity. They boost job performance, and of course, they increase our health. So why does rest encourage us and help us to be more productive? According to these articles, the importance of rest is rooted in our physiology. As human beings, we were designed to rest. We were designed to to pause. We weren't designed to just continuously go full full throttle all the time. We weren't designed to just keep going at the fastest pace we possibly can in order to do as much as we possibly can. Rather, we were meant to have this balance between work and life, between work and rest. And, you know, I quite enjoyed reading some articles this week that essentially show that science is catching up to what the Bible tells us. Science is beginning to prove what it is that God already knew. I think it's amazing. But we don't look to uh, the New York Times or the Harvard Business Review to get our absolute truth. We look at scripture, the source of absolute truth. And there are a whole bunch of scriptures that talk about rest and that talk about the practice of Sabbath. And last week we looked at the story of creation in Genesis and how actually God designed from the very beginning of time that we were supposed to pause and take rest and actually work from rest. But this week, we're going to look at some words that Jesus spoke as recorded in Matthew chapter 11. He said this, he said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. You know, we hear phrases, don't we? Like, there's not enough hours in the day. I need an extra day in my week in order to get everything done. But if you got those extra hours, and if you were granted that extra day, would you actually get to the end of your never-ending to-do list? Would you make it? Would you achieve all that you wanted to achieve? You know, we work as hard as we can every single day and never seem to get everything done. But maybe the reason that we don't get everything done is that we are working as hard as we can every single day. 
What are we learning? The importance of rest. Quoting John Mark Comer's book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, again, he said, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. If the devil can't make you sin, he will make you busy because both sin and busyness have the same effect, that they take you away from the presence of God, that they cut off your connection with your creator and with other people and even to your own soul. If he can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. And we just seem to have accepted this way of life. We've just become so accustomed to it that we're like, yeah, this is just the way it is, that I'm just always busy, that I've never got to the end of what it is that I'm supposed to be doing. And we just accept it. We know it's not great, but for whatever reason, we just don't believe that anything is ever going to change until perhaps we retire at, what is it, 66 or something, if we can afford to retire at 66, or more likely when I get there, 76 or, or something ridiculous. It's bonkers. We've somehow learned to live without rest. Although perhaps living is not the correct term. Maybe it's just surviving. We've learned to survive just about without rest. We're just accepting this as the status quo. But God doesn't want to get us to get used to being burdened. God doesn't want us to just accept being stressed out and filled with anxiety. That is not what God wants for us. He wants us to discover the power of rest, and to understand that the practice of Sabbath will actually empower us to live within this hectic, stressed out, anxiety-ridden world without becoming a part of it. Because Jesus said, didn't he, we are supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. Just because society around us is losing its mind, trying to do everything all the time, constantly, that doesn't mean that we need to fall into that pattern of living. That is not how we were created. That is not how we were designed. He designed us to live in rest and to work from rest. This doesn't need to be the way things are. There's another way. There's another way. There's a different belief system. There's a better example of living. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. As Jesus speaks those words, what he's doing is he's giving us an invitation. He's saying, come to me. Come to me. It's an invitation to rest. Not just to a day off. Not just to uh, uh, just a moment. He's inviting us. He's giving this invitation to true rest. To a place where we have just the total presence of rest in our lives every single day. It's not just about having a rest. It's about living in rest. And it all starts with Jesus. Come to me. 
Come to me, he says. He's not calling us to a day or to a place or to a set of rules. He's calling us to the very heart of God. He's calling us to a person. Come to me. He's calling us to connect to him and to allow his life to enter our lives, to allow his rest to enter into our way of living. And he begins with this invitation, come to me. And then he follows it with the phrase, take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you. And now in the context of the, the time that Jesus is speaking these words, he's speaking to a primarily agricultural society. And so this language of take upon me this your yoke, it made sense to them, possibly not so much to us in today's society. But essentially a yoke is this device that's used to harness two animals together. It kind of sits across the shoulders of the ox or whatever it is to keep them strapped together so that they can work in unity for one purpose, whether that's plowing a field or whether that's pulling a heavy load, whatever it may be, they are attached together by this device, by this yoke. And so when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, Jesus wasn't asking us, to attach ourselves to religion or to attach ourselves to rules. He was asking them and he's asking, inviting us to connect ourselves to him, to join our hearts with him, to join our lives with him, to live out our lives connected, attached to, in unity with him. Are there any ballroom dancers in the room? Anyone love a bit of Strictly? I've never had a go at ballroom dancing, but I've, you know, seen a little bit. And the little understanding that I have when it comes to ballroom dancing is that as a couple takes to the stage or the dance floor in order to to perform their dance, one has the role of leading and the other has the role of following. And now just imagine for a moment if, if this couple got onto the dance floor and they didn't know who was playing which role. And so one thought that they were leading and the other thought that they were leading. And as they begin to dance, I can only imagine it wouldn't look particularly pleasant. They may even fall and stumble or be pulling in different directions and it would just look all wrong because they didn't know which role they were carrying out. But when the the couple knows whose role is whose, when they know who it is that's taking the lead and who it is that's following, then what will flow out of that is something that's graceful and something that's beautiful. And that is the picture of what Jesus is inviting us to when he says, take my yoke upon you. Because Jesus is the one that we should be following. So in this scenario, in this picture, we are the followers and he is the lead role. And so when we partner with him, when we join with him, when we grab his hand and his waist and strike up the pose to dance, we follow him. And what will flow out will be this picture of beauty and of grace. It won't be hard work. We won't find ourselves fumbling and falling and tripping over and pulling this way and that. We'll just flow in this incredible dance with him. Because where there is trust, 
and where there is submission, out of that will flow something that is just incredible and actually quite easy. In order to find this rest that Jesus is inviting us into, we need to be completely and unreservedly submitted to his will, to his heart, to his words and to his ways, to allow him to truly become Lord of our lives and the leader of our lives. And so there's a purpose in this yoking. There's a purpose in this partnering with Jesus, in this connection, in this submission to God, because the Bible tells us that for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. And so that means for us as followers of Christ, we can trust him to take the lead. We don't need to think to ourselves, I know best. We don't need to make plans of our own because God's plans are far greater than our plans. We may come up with some things that will lead to something great, but if we trust in God and we let him take the lead, he will take us even further. He will take us into things that are even better than we can ever ask or imagine. He knows the plans that he has for us. He knows the path that he wants us to walk in. He knows where we're going and he knows the way. And if we allow him to take the lead, then then we'll get to experience the goodness of God. Then we'll get to experience the fullness of what he has in store for us. If we try to pull in the opposite direction of Jesus. If we say, okay, you can take the lead, but then actually we begin to go where we think is best. Then things aren't going to work out. It's going to be challenging. It's going to be difficult. Again, just come back to that picture of two ox yoked together. If one begins to go left and the other begins to go right, then this harness that is over them is going to begin to cause them some friction and some bruising and some damage. It's not going to be good for the animals. And in the same way, if we take his yoke upon us, but we don't allow him to take the lead and instead we go in the opposite direction, then we're going to get bruised and battered and broken and worn out and tired. And that does not sound to me like an easy yoke. That does not sound to me as an easy yoke. It's a heavy one. And so Jesus says, come to me. There's this invitation. And then he says, take my yoke upon you. That's the the kind of how. And then he says, learn from me. He says, learn from me. And so this submission This allowing him to take the lead in our lives. It's not just mindless. We're not just like lemmings following the one in in front of us and hoping that they know where they're going. We're not just following him because uh, we've been told that's what we're supposed to do. He's encouraging us to learn from him as we do it. To learn from him as we follow him. To learn from him as we let him take the lead. You know, if I want to learn to sort out the electrics in my house, which I will never have the desire to do, 
But if I wanted to, I wouldn't go to a plumber. If I wanted to fix my car, because the engine's making some weird noises and I'm getting a little bit concerned it's going to blow up on the motorway, I'm not going to go to a gardener. And in the same way, if I want to experience rest, if I want to truly understand what this verse and the many others are talking about and are inviting us to, I'm not going to go to someone who isn't an expert in rest. I'm going to go to the person who is an expert in that field that I want to learn from and grow in. And so the expert in the field of rest, in the practice of Sabbath, is the one who designed it in the first place. And so if we want to learn how to live in rest, if we want to learn how to work from rest, our first port of call needs to be going to God. Because from the very beginning of time, he created this opportunity for us to live in and work from rest. It's in our DNA. It was put into the very fiber of our beings. And so when we don't live in that place of rest, we feel an unsettling in our spirits. And whether we recognize that that's what it is or not, that's what's going on. When we're just running our lives at full pace, when we've got the pedal to the metal in our lives, there's turmoil in our souls. There's an issue going on in our spirits because this world has beaten out of us the understanding and the knowledge of rest. And so we need to relearn how to rest. And Jesus is inviting us to learn from the best. And I love the language that Jesus uses in this invitation. He says, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But a yoke isn't easy. Because when when two ox are yoked together, they're not just then going to chill out. There's then work to do. And so a yoke is not actually easy. And a burden, by very definition, is not light. It's heavy. But here's the beautiful truth in this invitation that Jesus gives to us. That as we yoke ourselves to Jesus, as we align ourselves with his heart, his ways become our ways. His passions become our passions. His plans become our plans. His his purpose becomes our purpose. And so whatever yoke we're carrying on his behalf is no longer overwhelming. It's no longer exhausting. Instead, it becomes a delight to carry. It becomes our joy to carry. We actually begin to find rest in the work that God is calling us to. It seems contradictory, doesn't it? But the kingdom often is. We talk about this upside down kingdom that when Jesus came, he just flipped the rules on their head and he, everything that we knew just got flipped right over. And this is the same situation that actually when he's describing essentially work to us, he's associating this word rest with it, which to us makes no sense because of the society and the world that we live in. But he's saying there's another way. He's saying there's another way that we can do this life that we're doing. 
Because the world says, keep going, push harder, strive more, run faster. You can rest later. But Jesus is suggesting something revolutionary. He's saying instead of going harder and faster and longer, instead of carrying all this weight and this burden on your own, partner with me. Yoke yourself to me. Let me take the lead. And the result, as we've read, we will find rest for our souls. We'll find rest for our souls. Do you know, rest is not the reward for all the work that we do. Rest is the place from which effective work can happen. We need to get back to uh, the place and the recognition and the understanding of rest. But it doesn't fit with what we know. It doesn't fit with the world in which we live in. It doesn't make sense in our society today because working hard might seem to the outsider like a good thing. Going full pace 24-7 all the time looks like it's the right thing to do. But if you're working hard at something that you're not passionate about, you're not working in the way God intended We were created to work. That is without a doubt. There's no question about that. We were created with work to do. When God created Adam and Eve, he placed them in the garden and he instructed them, be fruitful and multiply. He said, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every living thing that moves upon the earth. He instructed them to work. But what did day one look like? As we said last week, Hey God, what are we doing today? Day one. What can we do? Oh, come over. Grab a hammock. Today we rest. That was day one for mankind. Chilling out. Taking a load off. Work can start tomorrow. You know, when Adam and Eve were appointed their roles by God, when he told them to be fruitful and multiply and to have dominion over the earth, there was no mention of pain. There was no mention of hard work, of striving, of pouring out blood, sweat and tears into what it is that he was asking of them. But then fast forward to post-snake-temptating, apple-eating time. And then God says to Adam, okay, because of what's just happened, because of what you've done, he says, all your life you will struggle. You will work, but it will be hard. It's going to be sweaty. And then he says to Eve, okay, the job that I gave you was to multiply, but now what I'm going to do is I'm going to multiply your pain in childbirth. There was no mention of any of that before the apple. But that happened. We thought we knew best. We thought we could find a better way. And so God brought about pain and he brought about punishment and we're still living in that today. And so our society is still saying, I know better than God knows. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to work longer. I'm going to work faster. I'm going to do all of this stuff. 
because I know better than God. But God said, day one, rest. Day one, do nothing. But we've forgotten it. We've lost it. It's disappeared. You know, there were no weeds in the garden before they took a bite from the apple. There was none of that. Work was expected. They were given a job to do. They were given a task to complete. But this idea of hard labor, of sweating in the fields, all that was new. That was not part of God's original design. There was this shift from purpose to survival, from working to striving. You know, there should have been enjoyment and delight and rest in the things that God was asking them to do. That is how it should have been. But all that was lost. And so we need to get it back. We need to recognize that there is a problem. We need to recognize that we are still living in this post-fall world and get back to the original design that God had for us. You know, you've probably heard that phrase that if you love your job, you'll never work a day in your life. I wonder if a more accurate phrase would be, if you love your job, you will work damn hard at it. Knowing that you're living from purpose, that you're living for purpose, and that you're living on purpose. Because we were called to work. God designed us to work, but he designed us to work on purpose, from purpose, and for purpose. You know, that's why when lockdown lifted and we came back to church, we sacked everyone. We said, whatever team you're serving on, you're not serving on it anymore. Because a lot of people were serving out of obligation and not purpose. And we believe that God has placed us here with purpose, with reason, with skills, with passions to do something that he has designed us to do. And so if you're just filling a role for the sake of filling a role, you're a square peg in a round hole and that's not going to work. That's going to cause pain and it's going to cause friction, like being yoked to someone else, but both thinking you know the right way to go. That is not how God designed it. And so I've got a question. For those of you who work, if you had to carry out your work without pay, would you still do it? And if you wouldn't still do it, then why are you doing it? And that's a very idealistic approach. And I understand that because we got bills to pay and we got mouths to feed and all of that stuff. But you were designed for a purpose. And so if you don't find life from your career, then you've got to get down on your knees in prayer and find out what will give you life. And I'm not saying go to work tomorrow and quit your job. That is not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is we've got to live for purpose, from purpose, and on purpose. We've got to find what it is that God has designed us to do. You know, I recently took a phone call literally two weeks ago from a guy I've known for a long time, and he invited me to apply for a job. Still in the ministry, much better pay, overseas travel, a fantastic opportunity. He said, I think you've got the right skills to fit this job. 
But that job is not what God's called me to do. And so I said to him, I'll think about it and pray about it, but I can tell you right now, that's not what I'm supposed to be doing because God put something on my heart. And I know it was God because it came out of nowhere. I had no intention of leading church. I had no intention of being in full-time ministry until one day over dinner, I had a conversation and everything changed. And so for someone to say to me, I've got another opportunity, there's got to be another over dinner, instant changing, change of heart within me that says, okay, you're done with that. We're moving on to this. Otherwise, I'm going to stick at it because this is the purpose that God has called me to do. This is why he put me here right now at this time. And you know, I am, I'm blessed to know that. And I realize that and I acknowledge that. But if you don't know where your purpose is, if you don't know what your purpose is, please come and speak to us because that is the desire of our heart as leaders to help each and every one of you find your purpose. Because when we find our purpose, my old boss used to say, you don't work better than when you're living from the flow of purpose. A non-believer, she didn't get God, but she got this principle that when we're living in the flow of purpose, we are far more effective than when we're fighting to take the lead with whatever it is that we are yoked to. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This verse gives us incredible insight into who we are and what we were called to do. It says we are his workmanship. Another translation says we are his masterpiece. That makes you a pretty amazing who. And it also tells us that not only does God have works for us to do, he prepared them in advance. And let me tell you, God knows what he's doing. And so when God created you, even before God created you, he knew what you were going to do and he knew what you were going to need in order to get that thing done. And so he put it in you. He put it in you. And so this is just really encouraging, at least I find so, that if you put those two things together, we can see that God made us and he made us with a purpose and so we put within us everything that we could possibly need in order to do that. And so we no longer need to carry this weight and this burden of believing that what we're meant to do, we can't do. Because the Bible tells us we can do it when we yoke ourselves to him. When we partner with him. When we let him take the lead. And that's where the rest comes from in knowing who we are, in knowing whose we are, in knowing that we already have everything that we need to do the task that he's set aside for us to do. We can learn to rest. We can learn to experience this easy yoke when we understand that our value is not found in our doing, but in our being. And your being is the man or the woman that God created you to be. His workmanship, his creation, his masterpiece. 
And so before I had that over-dinner moment, I worked in, in marketing for a long time. I was working for Merlin Entertainment's ginormous company in the world. Um, it was a very great, it was a great job. I loved it. I enjoyed it. I was good at it. But the culture of that job, and I know that's the culture in many jobs, is to climb the ladder, is to get as high up as you can be, to have as much power as you can have, as much authority as you can have, earn as much money as you could possibly earn. And so the culture that I was working in in that time was that you had to arrive early before they started paying you and you had to stay late after they'd stopped paying you. And if you didn't work more than the hours that you were contracted to, it wasn't spoken, but you know there was an unspoken word where, well, he's not really committed. He's not really applying himself. He's not really going for it in this job. And so I fell into this trap of getting there early and staying there late and doing more than I was supposed to be doing. And I had this drive and this desire to to climb the ladder and to try to impress the boss and the boss's boss and the boss's boss's boss. You know, I remember being at this conference once and uh, so I had a boss and she had a boss But the boss's boss's boss was at this conference. And so we'd gone through the day and we'd done the the conference bit and the learning bit and the teaching and all that stuff. And afterwards there was dinner and there was drinks and I was knackered and we had to be up at 8 a.m. for the next day. But the boss's boss's boss was in the house and so it was expected that we went to drinks afterwards. And I'm living in this culture of trying to climb the ladder, of trying to impress whoever needs to know. And so I'm over in the, pla- in the place having drinks with this guy. And I'm trying somehow, I don't know how to do this, I'm fumbling my way through trying to tell him all of the good things that I've been doing in Blackpool. And after, I don't know, half an hour of having this conversation... I realized he wasn't even interested. He'd switched off. He was just there for some drinks. But I was stuck in this culture and this society of trying to climb the ladder, of trying to impress someone, of trying to to demonstrate that I was important, that I was a person of value, not in who I am, but in what I did. But that is not what God wants for us. That is not who he designed and who he created us to be. And I think part of the problem is a crisis of identity. It's a crisis of identity because we're living in the society that says, I am not who I am, but I am what I do. And so I need to do as much as I possibly can in order to prove to whoever that I'm important that I am a person of worth and a person of value and it's exhausting and it's wearing us down and it's creating bruises and it's breaking us and it's destroying us. We can never do enough. We can never have enough. We can never be enough to meet those unrealistic expectations of the world that we are living in, whatever the reason is that we're doing it. Maybe we're just trying to keep up with the Joneses, as they say, and earn enough money in order to have the latest things and go to the latest places and have two holidays a year and all of that stuff. Or maybe we're just trying to prove that 
I've got status, that I'm important, that I have worth. Maybe it's fueled by self-doubt and our insecurities in our identity. You know, one of the greatest philosophical questions that we can ask in this world is, who am I? Why am I here? What is my purpose? And some of the greatest minds in the world have wrestled with this question. And yet the Bible tells us from the very beginning of time who we are, why we are here, what our purpose is. And it is not to have a six-figure salary. It is not even to have the marriage and the family and the happy home and all of that stuff. It is none of that stuff. It's just to recognize who we are and whose we are, that we are his workmanship, that we are his creation, that we are his masterpiece, that we are sons and daughters of God, that we were created in his likeness and we are carriers of his presence. That is what gives us value. That is what gives us worth. You know, I love that moment when, uh, when Jesus gets baptized and we see this incredible scene where Father, Son and Holy Spirit are present in this moment because Jesus is baptized and the Holy Spirit comes down on him like a dove and the Father speaks from heaven. He says, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. And in that sentence... In that spoken word from the Heavenly Father, there is affirmation of his identity. You are my son. There's acceptance of his individuality, whom I love. And there is approval. The only approval that any of us need. With you, I am well pleased. With you, I am well pleased. That is all we need. We don't need the approval of the who's who in society. We don't need our boss's boss's boss to even know our name. It doesn't matter. Because Jesus knows your name. More than that, he knows how many hairs are on your head. He knew you before you were even knitted together in your mother's womb. He knows you. That's all that matters. That's all that matters. And so yoke yourself to Jesus. Allow him to take the lead. And in that place, in his presence, we'll find perfect rest. And the work that he's called you to, the work that he's created you for, he's there with you. Every step of the way, carrying the burdens, lifting the heavy load, assuring you that this is right, this is what you are supposed to do, and I've given you everything that you need to do it. In Him, there is perfect rest. Let's pray. Yeah, so Father God, once again, I just thank you for 
the way in which you created us. That from the very beginning of time, you set in place not just this opportunity, but this commandment to rest. And once again this morning, we're hearing through the scriptures that you are inviting us into it. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God, remind us of our purpose. Reveal to us our purpose so that we can know that we are walking in the plans that you have for us, the plans that are not to harm us, but to prosper us. And when we yoke ourselves with you, it won't be sweaty and exhausting and backbreaking. It'll be a delight. It will be our joy and our privilege. And so we thank you for this invitation. And I pray that each and every one of us will accept it this morning. In Jesus' name.